passion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. guests here at Crosswinds. My name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors. And this morning we're going to be continuing in our study of God's Word. We're in the book of Jude. And just so you know, if you're new, you're going to need to take out that sermon outline. You're going to have to follow along and fill in the blanks that's in the, that's in the uh, bulletin there with you. And while you're getting ready to get your sermon outline out and find in Jude in either your phone Bible or your paper Bible, I want to give you an update on some stuff that, that's been going on. Uh, many of you know that at the beginning of the summer, uh, we had the opportunity to purchase a building for our Spencer campus that we've been looking for. It's the north side of the North Mall in Spencer. And God has been so gracious. He's provided us in a position where we have the money to be able to purchase it. And so we went to you guys. You voted, allowed us to purchase us. And we thought, okay, this is great. Beginning of the summer, let's purchase the building and move on. And we discovered it didn't work that way. In fact, it became a very difficult purchase for us because there's a number of lien holders and people involved. Ended up that the deed was had some errors in it. And so it was just a long and difficult process. And we're very thankful. And Mark Lease and Teresa Johnson, a lawyer, and, and April Bosma here at the church working together trying to straighten this whole thing out. And the good news is this past week we were officially finally able to purchase the building. So, yay! Yeah. Now, we only have one missing piece, which is somebody actually has to give us the keys. So, hopefully we find that this week. Uh, the good news of some of this is we actually ended up with a little bit more space in the building than we originally realized. So it didn't cost us a penny more, so we're excited about that. We're about ready to move on to the next stage of this process, which is we've been working on a, a building renovation budget to bring that facility up to being able to be used as a campus. And that budget will be sent out by email to the members within the next two weeks. It's pretty much done, but we're just putting some final touches on it right now. If you are not a member and you have questions about it, please talk to Pastor Shane. He'll be happy to work through it with you. The most of that budget is all for some Spencer um, renovations, though there is parts of it for some things we want to get done here in Spirit Lake. So that's pretty exciting. What will happen is there will be four opportunities for you to ask questions about that budget and interact on it. Two of those opportunities will be on this campus. Two will be on the Spencer campus. And you'll see more details in your bulletin next week. Didn't have a chance to get it in this week since we just set this up. They'll be October 10th after second service and October 18th in the evening for you to ask questions. And then on October 25th, we'll have our annual meeting where we'll uh, elect our elders and deacons for the year, plus look forward to approving that budget uh, for that new building. Oh. At that point, we'll begin to receive funds. And I know some of you have already given towards that project. We're excited about, we're excited about that. We expect, since this budget is small enough, that we should be able to receive all the funds needed for the building renovations that we're talking about. Um, we do not expect to go into debt. That's not, we're hoping not to do that at all, but we just want to let you know that it's small enough that that's what we think we can accomplish. 
So there's a lot of exciting stuff coming up right around the corner here at Crosswinds on both campuses, and just wanted to make you aware of that. With that being stated, let's pray and thank God for giving us the building, and then we're going to jump into Jude for our study. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for making this facility in Spencer available. Thank you for the timing of the purchase, even though it's later than what we expected. And we trust your timing and the wisdom of your timing. And we thank you for how you've been faithful through Crosswinds and through other Bible teaching churches around this community to be able to reach more people with Jesus Christ. Now we ask that you would help us uh, as we study your word. Help us to be able to learn your word. And help us to see Jesus better and love him more. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, remember this book of Jude. I'm going to catch you up a little bit if you're a guest. This book of Jude is about the situation of apostasy. And we've also talked about it being the book about spiritual terrorists. Let me just explain the difference between those two. We covered this recently. Apostasy are people who have been exposed to the truth about Jesus Christ. They know the truth about Christ. They may have even at one time professed the truth about Jesus, but they've turned away and walked away from the truth about Jesus, which is a terrible place to be because the only way to be made right with God is by Jesus. That's what this book of Jude is about, the danger of apostasy. But it's also about a specific kind of apostasy called spiritual terrorism. Remember, spiritual terrorists are people who have heard the truth about Jesus. They've known the truth about Jesus. They may even have accepted the truth about Jesus. They've rejected the truth about Jesus. But then instead of walking away from the church, they actually stay in the church and try and pull other Christians in the church away from Jesus with them. It's a deadly and terrible thing to do. And this book of Jude is about apostasy in general, but it's about spiritual terrorists in particular. People who have left Jesus, who are inside the church, pulling other Christians away from Jesus. Last week we also learned that um, spiritual terrorists and traditional terrorists, they have a lot in common. Remember that traditional terrorists, they always dress in plain clothes. So they can hide in plain sight. They look just like you and me. But that's the same way spiritual terrorists are, aren't they? They look just like each one of us. Yet they slip into churches. They're like Satan's ISIS. Satan's Taliban. They profess to hang out with Jesus, but they're actually there to pull people away from Jesus. Very deadly. And just like traditional terrorists are suicide bombers, spiritual terrorists are also suicide bombers. We saw what a traditional terrorist did in Afghanistan at the airport, taking their life, but also taking the lives of a number of our servicemen and women. But spiritual terrorists do the same thing. They come into the church, and what they do is they detonate their false teaching in the church intent to take people away from Jesus in the church. They're going to hell, but they want to take as many people as they can with them on the way to hell. That's why these guys are different, are, are similar. Now in our country, 
we've taken physical terrorism very seriously, especially since September 11th. And to our nation's credit, they've done a pretty good job at stopping most of the terrorist attacks in our nation. But when it comes to the church, we've learned that we don't do a good job of taking spiritual terrorists that seriously. We sort of forget they're out there. We forget that that's one of Satan's primary strategies to ruin Christians and to destroy churches. To send people into the church who don't really believe and trust in Jesus in the church. And because we're not aware of this and we're not protecting ourselves against this, spiritual terrorists have wreaked havoc in the, the church. There are entire schools that have left the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you think of some names in your mind? Entire denominations that no longer preach the gospel and believe the gospel. Churches that have been destroyed by ter spiritual terrorists who have gone inside and pulled them away. Well, Jude, his book is a wake-up call to the reality of this battle, and it's a call that we must engage in this battle to protect the truth. This is a very serious battle. Why we're all upset when we see a traditional terrorist detonate a bomb and take a number of people's lives, that just means earthly death. Spiritual terrorists, when they take people away from Jesus Christ, that means eternal death. And that's far worse than any earthly death can be. So, Jude tells us we must take this seriously. Now, I told you in previous weeks that the book of Jude, while it first looks like a casually written letter, it's not a casually written letter, it's a very carefully written letter. Jude has structured this letter in a very good way. The verses that we have been studying, which are verses Jude verse 5 through Jude verse 11, it's actually put together to make three points, and Jude uses three pieces of supporting evidence or data with each point. And let me take a moment, just briefly, to re reiterate some of those things and to catch everyone up. In verses 5, 6, and 7, Jude's main point is this. It never works out well for anybody who turns and walks away from Jesus. It doesn't matter who you are. In verse 5, it talks about the Exodus generation. Remember he said the Exodus generation was saved by Jesus out of Egypt. Jesus is the one who sent the plagues on Egypt. Jesus parted the Red Sea. Jesus fed the man in the wilderness. Jesus gave them water on the rock. Yet it says in the book of Numbers that ten times they turned their back on Jesus and walked away from Jesus. And finally, when they got to the edge of the promised land, they turned their back and refused to trust in Jesus again. And as a result, none of the Exodus generation, everyone over 20 years of age, went into the promised land. They all died in the wilderness. The Jesus who saved them became the same Jesus who judged them. It never works out well for anyone to turn their back on Jesus, especially when they have known his saving love and power. Verse 6, he gave us another example. It was angels in heaven. Remember the angels that rebelled? Some came to earth. We call them fallen angels. 
And according to Genesis verse 6, we know in the time before the flood, some particularly evil and vile angels possessed men to marry human women and to have demon-raised families instead of godly families. And the earth was a terrible, terrible place at that time. Far worse than it is now. And then that's why God brought the flood on. But Jude verse 6 tells us that at that time, God took these particularly heinous and vile angels and he chained them and he bound them in a pit of darkness where they are today until the day of judgment. Not all fallen angels, but those particularly wicked fallen angels. And Jude's point was, it never works out well when you know the power of Jesus and you turn and rebel against Jesus. Even the angels of heaven are now suffering for that. Then in verse 7, he went and talked about Sodom and Gomorrah. And they rebelled against Jesus by extreme sexual immorality. In particular, he says, by homosexuality. Now, they knew that was wrong. Genesis chapter 19, we saw, tells us that they knew by their consciences that it was wrong to engage in the sexual morality. They also knew because Lot had told them how heinous and vile it was to God, but they engaged in it anyway. And the end for them was a literal lake of fire where the cities of the valley were consumed, a foretaste of the eternal lake of fire. And Jude's point in all three examples, it does not matter who you are. You can be God's chosen people. You can be the very angels of heaven. You could be the Gentiles. If you turn your back on Jesus, it will not work out well for you in the end. And he reminds us, brothers and sisters, who have spiritual terrorists in your churches, people trying to dissuade you away from Jesus, pull away your confidence in Jesus. Do not turn and leave Jesus it will not work out well for you in the end. Then last week, we covered verses 8 through 10, where what Jude did is he told us how we can recognize spiritual terrorists. And his proposition was this. Spiritual terrorists in the past and spiritual terrorists in the present have great similarities. That if we study the way spiritual terrorists worked in the past and how they looked in the past, we'll be able to build a spiritual profile on them. And we can use that profile of the past to help us identify spiritual terrorists in the present. And he, once again, he gave us three pieces. Spiritual terrorists of the past were known for their, one, sexual immorality. Number two, insubordination towards those in authority. And number three, they blasphemed angels, which means they had no respect for things that are holy. That brings us to verse 11, which is our study this morning, where what Jude is going to do, he's going to make a big point and use three examples once again. The big point is this. Let me tell you how these spiritual terrorists or apostates go about their work. And we can learn how spiritual terrorists or apostates went about their work in the past so we can understand the work they will try and do in the present among us in the church. So let's go ahead, read Jude, verses 11 through 13. Hopefully you have your copy of God's Word. Stand out of reverence for the Word. 
as I read verses 11 through 13. And Jude says this, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are blemishes on your love feasts as they feast with you without fear, looking after themselves, waterless clouds, swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. And that ends the reading of God's word. You can be seated. Let's begin in, in verse 11, where we see how apostates accomplish their work. He says this, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain, and abandoned themselves for the gain, for the sake of gain to Balaam's heir, and perished in Korah's rebellion. We see here, they walked in the way of Cain, they rushed into Balaam's error and perished into Korah's rebellion. And I want you to notice here that there's actually a progression. That each one of these examples gets intense and worse as you look at them. They're not level. For instance, look at the, um, look at the nouns. They are way, error, rebellion. See how they're getting worse? The verbs, taken, rebel, rushed, and destroyed. So what Jude is doing is he's showing us how these spiritual terrorists work, but how they work in increasingly more destructive ways and techniques as we go further and further into this list. Let's begin with the first one. It's Cain. And what we learn from them, from him, is they reject God's word for what is self-styled worship. Let's think about Cain for a moment. We find his story in Genesis chapter 4. You know who Cain's parents were? They were Adam and Eve. So Cain is actually the first person who was born on earth. Remember, Adam was specifically created by the dust of the earth and breathed into by God. He never experienced the junior high years. Eve, she was made out of Adam's side, from Adam's rib created fully formed. She never had acne. I mean, she was, just was fully formed. Cain comes along, and he's the first born human being on earth. So he experienced that awkward stage. But thankfully, he didn't experience it totally alone. He had a brother named Abel, and they could experience those things together. And in your outline, I have their story. Let's read these eight verses. Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Now, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? 
If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Let's look at this story. Cain, the firstborn human on the earth, was also the first farmer on the earth. And he was a grain farmer. That's what it says. He tilled the ground. Maybe he did a little corn. Maybe he did a little soybeans. I don't know. He probably would have loved Iowa. Perfect place for those things. But Abel was also a farmer, except he went the other direction. Little cattle, little sheep, maybe a few chickens, a couple goats. Now, what happened is in the course of time, they brought an offering to God. Cain decided that he'd bring for his offering some vegetables. He said, I'm going to worship God with a salad. That's what he did. Abel said, no, I'm not going to worship God by giving him a salad. I'm giving God a steak. Not just any steak, but a steak from the firstborn of my flock. A steak of the fat portions, which, by the way, means he gave what was first, and he actually gave what was best to God. Now, God liked Abel's offering, but he was not pleased with Cain's offering. So Cain hung his head low. I love what God says here. It's like, so why are you angry, Cain? All you need to do is just do what is right, and it'll be accepted. What this implies to us is God had told Cain and Abel what acceptable sacrifice looks like. Abel followed the rules. Cain decided to rebel and disobey the rules. In fact, Cain decided he'd make up his own rules about what acceptable worship and sacrifice looks like. And it didn't work out too well, did it? Because what happens is, um, Abel just submitted to God's word and believed it was true. Cain rebelled against God's word and tried to make up his own version of what is true. And what Jude said is we can learn a lot about the way spiritual terrorists work from that. Because this is not the way they work today. Rather than submitting to what this book says, they rebel against what this book says. They make up their own version of the truth. They make up their own version of how to worship God and how to please God. Rather than simply submitting to God's word and believing God's word. That's the way spiritual terrorists work. You can think about this as I was just sort of running through this in my mind. You know, I can think of people in the Evangelical Lutheran Church. Right on their website, they say, we believe that God's word and the apostles have gotten some things wrong. And we need to change it. We need to fix it. That's the way of Cain. You see other people who will say, you know, Jesus isn't the only way to heaven. He's just one of the ways to heaven. But doesn't the Bible say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Are you going to submit to God's word like Abel? 
or you're going to be a spiritual terrorist and rebel against God's word and try and rewrite it in your own image that's comfortable for you like Cain. This is the way they always work. Now, I think this one is interesting. It says here, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through faith, though he died, he still speaks. What was the faith that Abel had that made his sacrifice more acceptable? It was simply this, that he believed that what God's word said was actually true. He believed that the way God said he needed to be worshipped was actually right. Where Cain didn't believe those things. I'll show you an example I ran across this week. You know, Sometimes you guys send me little um, text or illustrations of spiritual terrorists you've seen during the week. And I found this one pretty interesting. Go ahead and put that one up. This is a Methodist pastor uses Bible verse to def defend forcing Christians to fund abortions. Ah, well, how about that one? And she's, as you can see, before some kind of Senate hearing thing, and she's a free Methodist pastor, and she um, did not like the fact that the free Methodist church was not going to pay for her birth control. Well, what was wrong with that? It's the kind of birth control she insisted on having. She wanted to have an intrauterine device, an IUD. I don't know if you know if you know this, but an IUD does not prevent pregnancy. What it does is it aborts children after they are conceived. And the Free Church Medical Group said, hey, we're not going to pay for you to abort your children. You want to do that on your own? Well, that's, that's your thing. But that's not where we're going to put our money on this. So she ends up and she says, by the way, they're violating what the Bible says. And she quotes John chapter 10, verse 10. She says, which says, Jesus came that they may have life and have it to the fullest. And you're making sure my life isn't as full and happy as I want it to be. What? Like, you're just changing God's word to suit your own pleasures, to live your own life. You're doing the same thing Cain did. That's the way a spiritual terrorist works. What sanctity of life is abundantly clear in Scripture. Submit to God's word and what it says. Don't try and change God's word to make it more comfortable and easy for you so I can live life to the fullest and have the free church pay for, the free Methodist church pay for my form of a birth control that aborts my children. Just crazy. That's the first example. The second example is Balaam. Balaam is, they, teaches us, they lead others to destruction for the sake of greed. Balaam was a prophet. But he was a prophet that was really into it for the money, not for God. And by the way, many spiritual terrorists are the exact same way. The reason they haven't left the church when they left Jesus is they stay in the church because the money is good. That's what they want to do. There are plenty of people out there who are writing controversial books that all kinds of people buy in the church to see what they say, but they're leading you away from Jesus. Now I was writing this sitting at my desk over there and I leaned over and looked on the right and there was a book called A New Kind of Christian by Brian McLaren. It was written a number of years ago up in Minneapolis is where he's at. 
and his book sold like crazy because it was a whole different kind of theology. And I can tell you, the boy has left the faith. I mean, he, the dog is, the cow is out of the barn, totally on this one. But he made a ton of money on it because everybody wanted to buy it. That's the way some spiritual terrorists work. They're in it for the cash. Now let me tell you Balaam's story. And we're just going to have to skip through this because Balaam's story is actually in Numbers 22 through 24 plus in Numbers 31. So it's a lot of text to cover. We know that the Exodus generation had come out of Egypt. And they were condemned to walking in circles for 40 years until everybody died, until the children were raised up. The children were raised up and they were going to go into the promised land, but they met with a number of people groups who were giving them a hard time. One of those people groups was known as the Moabites. The king of the Moabites was a guy named Balak. And Balak knew what God had done for the Israelites in Egypt 40 years before. He knew how God had fought for them. He knew about the Red Sea. He knew about the plagues. And he said, there is no way that I'm going to be able to battle or fight with this Israelite generation because God is on their side. I need to get God off their side. So he decided he'd hire a prophet. Balak hired a prophet named Balaam. And he was going to have Balaam come and curse the Israelites, sort of like, put a hex on them. You know, you go to Haiti, you get those witch doctors to put a hex on somebody to make their life not work. That's what Balak tried to get Balaam to do. Now, at first, it seems like Balaam's a really good guy. We read this about him in Numbers 22, verse 18. But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Oh, though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. Sounds like an upstanding citizen. Not really. Motivated by greed. See, Balak offers to pay Balaam handsomely if he will just curse the Israelite people. Three times Balaam tries to curse the Israelites. And each time he goes to curse them, God changes the very words of his mouth from a curse to a blessing on the people. Balaam ends up frustrated. He goes home and has no cash in his pocket. But when he's home, he has an idea. And the idea is this. I know a way I can get the God of Israel to not fight for them, but to actually turn and start fighting against them. And so he tells Balak to do this. Send the Moabite women into the Israelite camp tell them to seduce the Israelite men and to help these Israelite men to go and join them in their worship of their God, Baal of Peor. And that will happen is the God who has been fighting for them will start to fight against them. And folks, that's exactly what happens. It says this, while Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to their sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. It worked. Balaam was filthy rich from Balak. Now, it didn't go well. At that point, what we find is Moses has to take some really serious action 
to stop this kind of terrible whoring of, in the men with these, with these women. It says in Numbers 25, And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor. And God gets in the act too. He starts bringing a plague on the people, and 24,000 of the people die as a result of this. And later when we get to Numbers 31, we find out that this was all Balaam's idea. So he could get paid out from Balak. We say this, Numbers 31. Behold, these, on Balaam's advice, caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And so the plague came among the congregation of the Lord. Balaam is a spiritual terrorist. He's pretending to be a prophet of God but he's not really in it to exalt God. He's in it to get rich. He doesn't care that thousands of God's people died. He doesn't care how many wives had their husbands killed because they were unfaithful. He doesn't give a rip because he is filthy rich at the end of the day. Isn't that the way spiritual terrorists work today? I don't care, some of these spiritual teachers will say, you know, I'm driving a Mercedes. I'm living in a beach house. I don't care how many lives are ruined. I don't care how many hopes are dashed. My name is Benny Hinn. That's the way spiritual terrorists work. They're not, they claim to be about God, but they're really all about the money and stealing the cash. Incidentally, the book of Revelation just reinforces this for us. It says this, Revelation 2.14. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrificed idols, and what? And practice sexual immorality. Well, this brings us to the third example that we can learn from, from history. And this is Korah. Korah, we see that they create rebellion to undermine legitimate leaders. So Cain, we see that spiritual terrorists will do self-styled worship. They won't submit to God's word. They'll create their own version of God's word. Balaam, what we see is that the way spiritual terrorists work is they claim they're for God, but they're really for the money. And as I said, Korah is about rebellion against God's legitimate people who are leaders. Korah's story, incidentally, is found in Numbers chapter 16. Korah is a Levite, which means he should be taking care of temple worship. As a Levite, he was a cousin of Moses, and he would normally be put into the priesthood, but it seems like as we read the text, for some reason, Korah was not part of the priesthood. Maybe there was something about his character that was a red flag that they hadn't put him in there. Whatever it was, he was irritated that he wasn't in charge and that Moses was. So he decided to start a little rebellion against Moses. He got his friends together, two guys by the name of Datham and Irbaram, and they sort of keyed this rebellion up. And they had a little catchphrase they used to be... Um, really popular at this time. It was this. Aren't, isn't all the congregation holy? 
aren't we all special? Doesn't that sound good? Aren't we all God's chosen people? Why do we need, need Moses? Why do we need a leader over us? Why do we need a teacher for us? You know, uh, we don't need to go to church. I can always stay home and read my Bible. We don't need somebody to teach us God's Word. Can't I sit home and just read the Word? Your view of the Bible, it's no better than my view of the Bible. I don't know if my Bible, my view is right or wrong, but I'm entitled to my view, right? I don't need a leader. I don't need a teacher over me. I just need Jesus, my Bible, and the beach. That way I can take an Instagram photo. It's a rebellion against authority. I don't need spiritual authority over me. I don't want spiritual authority over me. I want to be independent and free. That is what Korah kept telling the people. And it was rebellion. And you know why I said that? I'll tell you. Sheep without a shepherd are vulnerable. Sheep without a shepherd are vulnerable. That's why Korah is re leading this rebellion against Moses. Spiritual terrorists today are the exact same way. They're just like Korah. They're just like Dathim. They're just like Abiram from long ago. You can recognize them, and their work is because they want to overthrow God's legitimate spiritual leaders and legitimate forms of spiritual authority and say that you don't need anybody over you. You don't need anybody teaching you. You don't need anybody praying for you. You just need to be independent by yourself. So how does this end? What does God think about this? Well, it's pretty crazy. Korah, Dathim, and Abraham, Abraham, they all get in one spot, and God has a giant sinkhole open up, swallow them and their families alive. And then have you guys seen the movie Backdraft? You know what happens in the Backdraft movie? You know, like the fire shoots out? That's exactly what happens, the Bible says, from the tent, where 250 of their buddies get backdraft with fire right out of God's temple, burning them to a crisp, making them look like a fried-up piece of bacon. And God then unleashes a plague on the people. And 15,000 people die. And you know how the plague stops? Thank goodness for Moses and Aaron, the leaders who step in and intercede for mercy for the people. And the plague stops. So, you can see how Korah's terrorism worked. So you have these sort of trinity of apostasy. Cain, self-styled worship. I don't need to submit to God's word. I'll create my own version of God's word. It's comfortable for me. That's the way spiritual terrorists work. Balaam, they claim to be about Jesus or God, but they're really about money. And Korah, who encourages rebellion against God's legitimate spiritual teachers and leaders, telling people to be independent and isolated so they're spiritually vulnerable. Now, there is another section in here, and I'm going to try and cover it in what is just a few minutes here. But it, I put down on number two is this. What are the apostates like? But maybe a better way to put this, as I was thinking yesterday, is what are the results of an apostate's life? Let's go through these quickly. 
They're like hidden reefs. They're an unseen danger that is ready to destroy. They are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. This is talking about when you're sailing and there's a reef that's just below the surface. A boat hits it. It tears a hole in the bottom and it sinks just like the Titanic. The point is, Jude says, these people are in your church. They are at the love feast with you. They are taking communion with you. But they are intent at destroying you and ruining you and ruining the church, sending you to hell. That is who they are. He says this, they're like bad shepherds. They only care about themselves. Shepherds feeding themselves. Jesus says this, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The bad shepherd only cares about feeding himself instead of feeding the sheep. That's what these people are. All they do is want to take from you. They want to use you. They do not care about you. He says they're like clouds without water. They claim to bring life, but they never deliver. Waterless clouds swept along by winds. We had a bunch of those this summer, didn't we? Dry summer. The clouds just come up and go right over top of us and don't drop any water on us. So claim to be spiritual refreshment, claim to bring life, but they never deliver. They're like fruitless trees. They're nothing but death. Fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead uprooted. Now, we used to live in Michigan. We lived, and around our house were apple trees and grapevines. And everything about those trees and those vines was for this time of year. When they went through and did the harvest to get the grapes and the apples. But imagine if you did the harvest, and you've done the spraying, you've done all the watering, put all this investment, and there's no fruit at all. What a waste. But these guys don't just not have fruit. They don't even have leaves. I mean, they're completely uprooted. They're like dead sticks on the burn pile. There's nothing but death in their life. They're like waves casting up foam. The result of their lives is garbage. Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, he says here. Now, you probably don't know much of this, but I grew up on the East Coast. On the East Coast with the ocean, when you have a storm and there's wild waves, you look at the shore after the storm and it's littered with garbage. Dead seaweed, sort of foam of toxins, all kinds of trash that was floating around the water ends up on the shore. And Jude says, you know what these guys are like? The result of all the energy, all the work in their life, all it does is leave a bunch of garbage and refuse everywhere. And he says they're like wandering stars. They shine for a brief moment, but spend eternity in utter darkness. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Now, technically, stars don't wander. You and I know that. They follow a path, don't they? So what would be a wandering star? I don't know if this is right, but I'll give you my guess. I think he's talking about shooting stars. Shooting stars that all of a sudden appear. They burn brightly as they skip off of our atmosphere. But then they pass through our atmosphere, go out, and end up in utter darkness of space forever. That's what these people's lives are like, these spiritual terrorists. Come out of nowhere, all of a sudden grab everyone's attention, 
but end up in nothing. Pitch and total darkness. So, how do spiritual terrorists work? Like Cain, they have self-styled religion. Like Balaam, they're in it for the money. Like Korah, they encourage rebellion against God's leaders. What's the result of their life? Empty promises, no fruit, only caring about themselves, litter garbage everywhere, and an eternity and utter darkness. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which does us good. Thank you for the truth of your word, which teaches us the way that spiritual terrorists will go about their work. Help us here at Crosswinds to be vigilant, to be vigilant to stay faithful to your word, faithful to the truth. And may we never let spiritual terrorists creep into our church to pull us away from the Jesus who loves us, who died for us, and the only one who can save us. We love you, Jesus. We love you for your word, which is faithful and true. May we always stay anchored closely to it. And all God's people said, amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.